Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine being in the middle of a war and still making art. There are artists right now in Ukraine who are doing that every day. This week, which marks exactly one year since Russia invaded Ukraine, at least four Ukrainian films are on screen at the Berlin Film Festival. And it's been like that all year. A number of Ukrainian movies were also at Sundance. At the Venice Biennale, there was a special pavilion specifically for a lot of Ukrainian art. Most of these artists making work in Ukraine are not on the front lines. But that doesn't mean their lives are business as usual. Far from it. It's very different at the front line and in the other areas, but both are unsafe and both mm-hmm. are dangerous, just in different ways. Because at the front line, you can die as the soldier, but in Kyiv, you can die as as a kid, as a pregnant woman, as mm-hmm. somebody who was just home, you know, taking a shower, and then something fell on their building. That's Nadia Parfan, one of the four Ukrainian filmmakers currently showing work in Berlin. She lives in Kiev. Nadia recently put out a documentary short on The New Yorker called I Did Not Want to Make a War Film. It's a personal essay about how her everyday life has changed. My name is Nadia. I'm from Ukraine. Back home, winters are dark and cold. I prefer to escape somewhere warm and return in the spring when life wakes up again. This year was different. The film documents Nadia returning to Kiev from her winter getaway after the war breaks out. And there's a dissonance in it that's quite emotional. Parts of the film show a country that's clearly ravaged by war, bombed out streets, people displaced by fighting. But other parts show kind of normal life. Nadia at home, tending to her plants, hanging out with her husband. Scenes that could have been filmed in Warsaw or London or a hip part of Brooklyn. If your country is at war and even if you're in a very safe place, it's never safe. And I wanted to make a sort of hipster picture to show some mm-hmm. Williamsburg hipsters like myself who also <laughs> like vinyl music and who also make films and who also like plants and who like to stay at home and who have their favorite sofa and, you know, these little bourgeois things. I just wanted mm-hmm. to show that there is like mm. not a single person, not a single social layer that remains untouched by the war. This week, we spend the whole episode talking with Nadia to hear what it's like to live and make work during a war. Because often I think we think of wars like they're old black and white movies. But Nadia's film shows us what war looks like today. And what it looks like today is familiar. This is FT Weekend. I'm Lila Raptopoulos. Before I get into my conversation with Nadia, I'm going to tell you a few things you may already know. Russia attacked Ukraine exactly a year ago today, 
on February 24, 2022. At first, Putin was trying to capture the capital, Kiev, and quickly win the war. But that didn't work. So in the time since, the Russian military has had to stick to the south and the east of the country. That's the front line, the part where there's active, land-based fighting. Everywhere else in Ukraine isn't under active siege, but there has been shelling. So people are living and going to work knowing that they could be bombed. These bombs have also damaged Ukrainian infrastructure, like power stations, which means that to conserve energy, the government implements rolling blackouts. Every week, people actually get a schedule of when their power will probably be out. Nadia, hi. Thank you so much for taking the time out to join us. Hello, everyone. Um, So you are in a coffee shop currently speaking with us. Can you tell me what your current setup is? Oh, I'm in a very funny place. It's like a storage room in a cafe, which I call my office cafe. And that's the place where I go to work sometimes and meet with my colleagues. But also it's a place I attend when there is no power and no internet at my place, which unfortunately happens very often lately. Mm, Yeah. When we were setting this up, you sent us the times this week that the power would be out in Kiev. Yeah. And it was very striking to us, but I imagine it's become sort of a normal thing for you these days. What is it like? You know, it's a normal thing, but it can never be a normal thing and you can never get used to it. First of all, because the schedule and the situation is very dynamic and it changes literally every week and sometimes every day. So this is all like, Mm -hmm. it's very smart how the communal services, how the city and how all these uh, heroic workers of the communal services are managing this. And I really Mm -hmm. find them my heroes, heroes of our time. And they try to make it a little less horrible by giving you an approximate schedule. But you cannot get used to this, of course. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, can you tell me where you were when the war started and what the arc has been like for you over this past year, kind of physically? On February 5th, 22, uh, I flew to Dahab in the Middle East. I was wearing my sandals and my plan was to have a workation. And it's the reason I go there is because it's cheap. You can just rent a place and live there. And it's in the same time zone, so it's convenient to to do things in Ukraine. And I was supposed to work on my fiction script. I had to do some heavy writing, and I wanted to focus, which is sometimes hard in Kyiv. There was talk about a buildup of Russian troops at the Ukrainian border, but Nadia didn't take it seriously. Until February 24th, when the unthinkable happened. Russian tanks rolled into Ukraine. Nadia's first reaction, like many, was shock. She couldn't eat. She couldn't sleep. She couldn't figure out what she was supposed to do, especially being so far from her family. But then, about three weeks in, something shifted. Her body got used to it as her new reality. During the first weeks, uh, it was three weeks sharp. I was in a state of shock and pain and suffering and 
being furious and it was like really really bad i think for every mm. ukrainian also with insomnia and it's a level of stress that that's even hard to describe all kinds of things that you feel uh, and right. then suddenly on the 21st day uh, it changed uh, and i think it says often in the neuroscience that a human brain takes three weeks to develop a habit And that's exactly what happened to me, that suddenly I just woke up and I was a different person. I think I came to some kind of acceptance. That night was the first time Nadia slept since the war began. And she had a dream which gave her clarity. And it was uh, exactly as it is in the film that I saw a road and it was a pleasant dream, you know, I was dreaming like nicely, joyfully and just enjoying mm-hmm. the road, perhaps this image. And also inside my dream, it was a road movie. And I woke up and I'm like, hmm, two points. One, this is the road home. I think I know what to do. I think I just should go home no matter what, because I suffer being outside, being uh, being safe, but being isolated torn out of my country, Mm -hmm. my place, my home, my people. And secondly, it's a road movie. It's a film. And I want to see this film. So I have to make it to be able to see it. All of this is in Nadia's movie. But what isn't in the movie is what happened next, which is the path that brought her back home. First, Nadia asked her friends to figure out how to send her camera equipment to Dahab so she could start making this film. They did it, but they couldn't send her sound gear, which limited what she could do. Then she tried to book a flight back to a war zone. And I flew eventually through Vienna and then traveled by train through many countries. And you said that you were one of the only people going in the opposite direction. Yeah, yeah. At that moment, very few people were coming back. I'm, cur- I'm curious creatively. What did you know you wanted to get as you were traveling? Did you just think... Let me get what I see. It was quite intuitive. And uh, the one Mm. liberating thing about this whole experience was that it was, I knew it's going to be anti-perfectionistic. I didn't even know if it's going to be a film in a professional sense. Yes, I'm a filmmaker. Yes, I'm a film director. But normally it's not how it works. I develop a film, I write, I talk, I pitch it, I find money, I develop a visual concept. Like there is this whole workflow of the production. And in this case, I knew this is not going to happen and it's going to be a very different film. And I let it Mm -hmm. be the way it was and the way it unfolds. And um, it was quite spontaneous and intuitive. It's more a diary and essay. So I just, I took it very easy. Yeah. To me, the scenes that are the most powerful in Nadia's film are the ones set in Ukraine, just as she's arriving to the country. Her first stop is her grandmother's house in the West. You see Nadia reunite with her cousin, who shows her how he hides his new gun under his jacket. There's a scene of Nadia holding it, too. The most peaceful guy on earth. He got himself a gun. Then, one by one, 
Nadia brings out all the people who found refuge in her grandmother's house. There are 11 in total, and two cats. Ivan, Katya, Anton, Andrusha, Oksana, Natasha. The scene is kind of confusing because it's warm and cozy, like a family portrait, but it's also awful because all these people should be in their homes. I was particularly moved to see you return home and to see this close-up version of what was sort of your new life, um, the juxtaposition between how modern and relatable all of the people in your film are, like you and your friend FaceTiming and your grandmother and the people that she took in and your brother, and then how medieval the war is. Um, I'm curious sort of what you were hoping to show. I think I was... My idea here was that home is very valuable. This now sounds so banal, so trivial, but before the Russian invasion, I didn't value it. And I just suddenly realized Mm. that I'm so rooted in the place and these um, everyday things, like being able to sleep Mm -hmm. in your bed. You know, literally every day I go to bed and I'm so grateful that this is my bed, that these are my linens, my little pillow. Right, right. Nadia, by the end of your film... The word normalized feels wrong here, but the war feels, it feels that you're used to it. You and your partner hear bombs outside and you drag your mattress into the hallway like it's second nature and you kind of got to go around your mattress to get into the bathroom and it's just life. Exactly. Can you tell me about that? You know, it's this strange combination of something being as abnormal as it can be. I actually think that Mm -hmm. I might never, ever experience anything as abnormal as what we are living through now. Like this is, Mm -hmm. I am a fantasizer. I have rich and uh, like active imagination, but I could never imagine this. And uh, sometimes, Mm. you know, you think, oh my God, what else can be there? And then something else happens and yet something else. So it's really crazy. But at the same time, as humans, we're, it's our nature that we adapt. And I think we're just very human because we need to live. Nadia, I know your life is full of these probably, but can you just give me an example of something you deal with in your everyday life that would have seemed impossible before, just to help people visualize. This year for the new year, I decided I'm going to stay home because it's important. It's the year of home, the year of me rethinking the relationship of home uh, with my home. And uh, I invited whoever was around. I said, look, guys, you can just uh, come and stay. And Important thing, we have the curfew. So um, everyone has to be home at 11. And we're like, okay, we have to take care of people's safety. It would be really stupid if 30 people die at our place in the New Year's because of stupid Russians. So we go, we check our bomb shelter and we instruct everyone, please come and bring your mats, your sleeping bags. And if you are staying overnight in this house, the rule is that we go to the bomb shelter. 
And this is exactly what happened. My friend arrives like shortly before 11. We open some champagne. We try to celebrate the fact that we are alive. We'll try to make a toast to our army to remember those who passed away and who are no longer with us among our friends, because unfortunately there are many. And then we'll just hear the windows shaking and everybody is very sweet and obedient. Everybody takes their backpack, some tangerines, a bottle of champagne, and we just go to the metro station and we stay there for the entire night with some people sleeping, some people Mm. singing. Then, uh, you know, this is the everyday life now in Kyiv and... I can't get used to this. It uh, breaks my heart and I suffer every time. I'm this complaining Ukrainian sometimes, but other people, (laughs) they are just grateful that they are alive and that they have homes and they just leave it. Nadia, how do you process something that puts this much stress on you and everyone in your community, on your bodies, on your minds, on your emotional states? while it's still happening, like, are you using art to process it? Are you struggling to make art? I don't call it art. I would just say work. And I honestly, I don't distinguish much between creative work and other kinds of work. And uh, so I just work. And (laughs) honestly, uh, I'm a lazy person, but uh, this is what helps me because working gives you routines and it distracts you. Mm -hmm. You're busy thinking, your hands are busy doing, and I work a lot. Mm. My last question, Nadia, and thank you so much again for your time, is you said this is the year for you of home. What are you thinking about this year? What are you working on this year? What's in your mind? You know, I'm not making any plans anymore. And uh, like our horizons of planning are very short. Uh, Once I received this invitation for an event in Germany in like three months or so, and it was so specific, it had a date, a time, and they would ask me if Mm. I can confirm and uh, preferably immediately. (laughs) And I was really laughing because, you know, we don't have these horizons in Ukraine and we don't make any plans So my plan is just like very adaptive or agile. I don't make any plans. My plan is to survive, to be where I'm needed, to try to help where I can. And this is already very ambitious. Yeah. Um, Nadia, we're so grateful for your time and your work um, and your thoughts. So thank you. And um, please stay safe. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's the show this week. Thank you for listening to FT Weekend, the podcast from the Financial Times. I've put a link to I Did Not Want to Make a War Film in the show notes, alongside a number of excellent FT Weekend pieces that are reflecting on the war this week. You can email us to say hi anytime at ftweekendpodcast at ft.com. The show is on Twitter at ftweekendpod, and I'm on Instagram and Twitter, but mostly Instagram, at Lila Rapp. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and here is my talented team. Katya Kamkova is our senior producer. Lulu Smith is our producer. Molly Nugent is our contributing producer. Our sound engineers are Breen Turner and Sam Javinko with original music by Metaphor Music. Topher Forges is our executive producer, and our global head of audio is Cheryl Brumley. 
Have a relaxing weekend and we'll find each other again next week. <laughs>